Welcome back to another episode of Out of the Blank Podcast. Norman, it's a pleasure to have you back on the show, man. It's been a while. I've been out of the topic. Uh, the topic we're going to talk about is a little bit of the, uh, what would you call it? What would you what would you clarify this whole, it's not really a pandemic anymore, is it? I'd say it's a, a statistical scam from start to finish that whatever it was, we don't even know really if it was a pandemic anymore. We know that there were certainly excess, a lot of excess deaths in spring of you know, 2020, but now increasingly there seems to be evidence that a lot of those excess deaths were as a result of the response to the declared pandemic rather than, you know, the, a deadly, you know, this apparently deadly virus. Um, we know that all of the data, yeah, it was a scam. It was a scam. So when it comes to some of the statistics, like some of the lying and messaging, I mean, the important part about public, I guess, knowledge or just wanting to understand what the hell's going on is that these officials that we have given the right to be able to say, you know, the correct information might be mixing it up in a certain way. Yeah, I mean, it was to say the whole thing was fixed. The statistics were fixed to create, you know, whatever it was, exaggerate whatever this pandemic was, exaggerate the uh, efficacy, the safety of the vaccines. Everything was all about skewed definitions and a flawed PCR test. I mean, when you think that, you know, right from the start, they were defining a, a, you know, a COVID death as anybody who died within 28 days in the UK of a PCR test thing. In America, it was even some states, it was up to nine, within 90 days, wasn't it, of a, of a PCR test. And we know that for, they were testing, every, I mean, as they, you know, when they whacked up the testing numbers in sort of the autumn of 2000 and, 20 to sort of create effectively the second wave because they they you know the more you test especially asymptomatic people the more false positives there are so there were a lot of people testing everybody was sort of they, when they were coming out of that first lockdown everybody had to be tested to go to work to go to school and these are all mainly asymptomatic people we know most asymptomatic people getting a pcr test positive we know that's a false positive in most cases so you had these you know these increasing numbers um, they weren't even taking account of the number of tests when they were showing these, you know, exponentially increasing case numbers. Did they, did they, you know, show you just, we, you know, we took the revolutionary step of just dividing, looking at what happens when you divide it by the number of tests you've done. Of course, you see something which is pretty flat. They never did that. That was, the, that was when they first kind of like started, I was, that was when I was first called a conspiracy theorist and a spread of misinformation because I started to point that out. Well, the conspiracy part's not the error. The conspiracy part is to see if the error was intended, which I never really looked at it like this before. But if you look at like the PCR test, I mean, did they willingly hide information on the PCR test not really being as effective as they say it was effective? I mean, calling a bluff in the medical thing is one thing, but when you're testing someone, sometimes up to three times a day, people were getting tested with the whole Q-tip up the nose type situation thing. So if you're going to possibly get one of those is going to be a false positive because of the accuracy on those tests. And they weren't right about telling people the correct information on the accuracy of those tests yeah i mean yeah this is the problem where was it de deliberate i mean it, it does it does seem weird that all the governments of the world were used were doing this making the same mistakes they were you know all of them were using you know these very very overly high cycle thresholds they were using well i mean all, all the kits were pretty poor in the uk they were breaching the kit manufacturers guide and the WHO guidelines on what you test for. They were, they were, they were calling positives on a single gene, whereas you need to have at least two genes according to the WHO guidelines and the kit manufacturers. So all these kinds of scams were going on. And, you know, that you just have to think that there's, it's, 
everybody that the, whether it was deliberate whether the you know the testing the poor testing was deliberate or not it was all geared towards massively exaggerating the scale of the problem particularly going into the start of the end of 2020 2021 and you know why why because they they they, they wanted to create the impression the only way out of this terrible pandemic is the vaccination program I knew about that, and that was the one thing that got me really on board to the whole, like, this is a money-making thing, was because at no point in history, if someone tells you they cured their cancer with cheese, you would be like, oh, my God, that's one in a million, but thank God you don't have cancer anymore. Nobody shames you, but if you got over COVID without the vaccine, people shamed you, and the fact that you couldn't even talk about other possible things, and now those things are now recommended by the CDC and the WHO as forms of medication like ivermectin and other things that have been banned and are still banned off YouTube. It has not updated yet. To me, it started – I was like, what the hell is going on here? And that was because they needed the emergency rollout with the vaccine. Yeah, and it's absolutely. like – but it wasn't even tested. So now not only did the beginning, they say that the vaccination was never going to be forced onto people. It was just this thing you could have. They eventually made it to a requirement. Now you lost your job. And it almost got to the point where if the public didn't push back, they were going to come to your door and give you a shot in your arm. They were telling people that they could go to their house and give them the shot if they didn't feel comfortable going to a, a pharmacy or anything like that. Yeah. And of course, you know, and then the, these these claims, the efficacy and safety claims right from the beginning. I mean, they started off with the because they never did any safety, you know, early on in January. They didn't, you know, they only had the very limited safety data from the Pfizer trial, which we know was all like, all flawed. We don't believe any of that. And they had the but they were claiming like 95 percent efficacy. We know that that's flawed. But, you know, no matter how much you you expose this, you know, they still say it's it's safe and effective. But just. Look, the, the evidence is in our own eyes, isn't it? All this stuff. Who, who are the people? How, who knows people who are unvaccinated, who are continually getting COVID? I don't know anyone, right? How many people do I know who are multiple vaccinated and still getting COVID? Lots of them. And all the stuff about, all that, all the stuff about information we've got from freedom of information requests completely also destroy another part of the narrative, which is that only... The, um, they, they were claiming at the beginning that only like in autumn of 2021, when you know the vaccination program had kind of like peaked and they were trying to get people to get the boosters then, they were putting out in the UK these stories that 90% that of people in intensive care with, with, with COVID or hospitalized with COVID are unvaccinated. Those stories were we've got we know that they were completely false. We've got freedom of information access, which prove that those are false, right? And I can tell you some of the scams they pulled in this to get to get those figures right. Right up until hospitals were recording anybody who didn't have a vaccination record was classified as unvaccinated. Well, you want to know something? Up until June two thousand twenty-one, which was half which is halfway through the year, the first year of vaccination, nobody had a vaccination record because they hadn't they hadn't got that was hospital was accessible to the hospital because they didn't have the system set up then this so-called NIM system the national in the UK the national immunization management system it didn't cut didn't go operative until um June uh 2021 so you look at the hospital figures we got the data how many people in hospital you know with COVID how many people how many deaths in the hospital up until June 2021, there's zero. There's zero with a record. They're all counted as um. They counted them as, un, as unvaccinated. And even after that, even once they got the record, right? A lot of them they they only looked. They only checked in their own hospital records, not on that NIM system. 
So they were still recording people who they were still recording as unvaccinated people for whom they just didn't know whether they were vaccinated or not. And so that's where you got these ridiculous figures. And then they compounded that by when they were saying, ah, oh, 90% of them are unvaccinated. What they meant was, ah, oh, well, it's 90% who are not fully vaccinated, which means they had to be at least, you know, at least seven days past the, the, the you know, the, 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 the two doses and the booster. I mean, the whole thing was just ridiculous. Now, didn't it, Thing change when they switch the, to, I guess, the wording or definition of being vaccinated. Like I've come across articles, and this is what's really messed up about where we got in our societies. That there's a site called SorryAntiVaxxers.com, which is about anti-vaxxer deaths. Now, if you examine some of those deaths, some of them were paramedics, and some of them had two shots but refused to get a booster because they didn't. Just, a lot of people dropped off after getting two shots. That's not unvaccinated. But then the WHO changed the definition of what you would call vaccinated. So vaccinated happened to be like an update on every single shot. And I was like, well, they make a new one every six months, so eventually you could get fifty, and it would just be like. Well, I guess I'm not vaccinated anymore because I haven't got the 51th shot. I know, and that's the problem. So when you see these comparisons of the you know the mortality rates for the vaccinated and unvaccinated, you have to know exactly how they're defining an unvaccinated person, right? As you say, lots of cases it means not fully vaccinated. Now in the UK, <clears throat> there's a big debate about this because the Office for National Statistics is supposed to be the best in the world. In fact, the only national statistics organization in the world which is supposed to be keeping detailed accurate figures of the mortality by vaccination status and they claim that they don't make those mistakes they claim that they'll they'll classify those who are who are within 14 days their first vaccination those who are after 14 days they're different categories for each categories for each and that they'll give different mortality rates for each but we know that that we know we've we've shown that their data is completely flawed as well so you know again people in fact the statistics regulator in the uk actually agreed with us that anybody using that office of national statistics uh, mortality by vaccination status data to make any conclusions about vaccine efficacy and or, or safety was was you know shouldn't have been doing so they actually st stated that categorically because of the flaws in the data and also because they were massively underestimating the proportion of unvaccinated in the uk and you need that proportion in order to work out these mortality rates because it's the so-called denominator it's the number you divide by number of deaths by number of people vaccinated or number of people unvaccinated it's that denominator you have to get that right if you underestimate it if you underestimate the number the proportion unvaccinated then what you're going to end up with is inflated mortality rates for the unvaccinated and underestimated vaccination rates for the vaccinated and that's exactly what they did it's all a con now when it comes to the manipulation of data i mean saying that you can pitch statistics numbers don't lie but you can pitch statistics in whatever hell order you want them to make them fit and that becomes a real problem when it comes to messaging with the public which leaves it up to like people like yourself who understand numbers and understand where there's issues being spread as well too i mean were you ever given an, an independent not an independent platform but a platform on a major network to be able to talk about some of the lying and statistical things so you've only been on independent podcasts and news radio shows Absolutely. I mean, the, the closest I got was, I don't know if you know, this program called GB News in UK. It was a sort of a new TV station. I got on there. I was actually interviewed by Nigel Farage, who I think might be quite well known even in the States. But even, even there, they, they had, that's an interesting, it's an interesting discussion because I think you would have heard of Mark Stein. I've heard Mark Stein. Yeah, of course. He's thinking, he, he was given a prime 
slot, evening slot on GB News last year. And his and his he started to look at the he was the first person on any TV, even though it was a sort of considered to be a fringe TV channel. It was still it was still on TV. You could still get it on a TV, not on a not on YouTube. You could actually watch it on your TV. It was one of the channels you could get, you know, on any fact. Freeview, you know, you get it. Everyone could get this on their TVs. So he was the first person on TV, as as it's such in the UK, to be talking about the vaccine, the lack of safety of the vaccines. And he was interviewing the vaccine injured, and he was giving some of the kind of data that we've been talking about. And what happened at the end? They, the the uh, the regulator, Ofcom, they um, just very recently. It was actually in, in end of December. They they up they basically upheld a complaint that he was um, spreading misinformation on one of these programs, and GB News, even though he just had two heart attacks, incidentally, they they basically booted him out. So he's gone independent again. He's now doing. I mean, he's you know, he's he's really good, and he gets it. He gets actually probably more viewers, I reckon, on his um, you know, on his uh, web channel, Mark Stein Show, than than um, than GB News gets now if they booted him out. But that's the thing. So anybody, you can't get that, you know, on the mainstream news, they were they were pumping out obvious misinformation. Like you can still see these um, interviews with so-called doc, you know, doctors pushing the vaccine saying 100% safe, 100% safe. You got 100%. Martha Stewart on an advertisement on Spotify and they should have picked someone that can actually speak clearly. She sounds like she has two teeth left in her mouth and she's like, I feel great after my vaccine. I'm like, I don't believe you at all. You sound like you're doing so bad right now. And it's like, but that's what it is. I mean, that ad pops up after like every song. So you're hearing like a two minute ad after every three minute song, basically. And it gets so annoying where it's like, that's where I started noticing like, okay, it's still out there, even though my town doesn't have the discussion about it anymore and other states don't have the discussion about it. But then it becomes, you already screwed society so much. You already put people in a position where if you even give people a big platform like the BBC, which I think the BBC is part of the problem. I hate to say it like that, but I've seen, I know they funded the unvaccinated documentary and they also did a bunch of other things as well too, but they literally have convinced people that anything of the opposite discussion which is now coming to light even more i mean verifiable things you can look at the cdc website and prove that they've changed their ideas of ivermectin on there it's labeled right there as a medication usage but the bbc at this point even if they gave you a platform or anybody else a platform you would just have people that would be calling in saying you put this misinformation person up there whether that person understands that what they've been told was wrong in the first place we're already too divided to where it's just better to drop the discussion about it at all because you can't talk about it properly without people looking at you like you're a nut job. Yeah, you can't. Yeah, there's this, this, and there's no way they'll have that. You know, they had, they had. You, have you heard of Asim Malhotra? Mm -mm. So he was. They, he it, there was an incredible furore because he was interviewed. On, he's he's a guy who had originally pushed the vaccines. Actually, he's quite a sort of well-known. He was a quite well-known sort of tele doctor type person. He's a cardiologist, and he he was very strongly pushing the vaccines at first. Um, but then his his father died, for, probably from a, um, as a as an adverse reaction from the vaccine. Died of a heart attack. Well, sorry, certainly speeded up. Let's say. By, by the vaccine. So he became skeptical. He started to do kind of like his own research as well as it was. And he and he came out and suddenly, you know, at the start of, you know, sort of 
early 2022, he was a he was a very, very vocal and prominent advocate of the dangers of these vaccines. Right. And he was he was in our circuit. He became in the UK one of the biggest you know, speakers, if you like, uh, about about the problem. So he got on to, you know, he, he was sort of interviewed by people like Mark Stein on BBC News. But he actually got, he actually managed to get a slot on BBC, on, on a BBC programme, right? But it was under, they thought he was going to talk about something else because he was going to, I think he was going to talk about statin statins, which is another thing he's, he's always been um, concerned about, the efficacy of statins, right? So I think it was something like that. He was going to speak about something else, but he made sure that he, he got in a statement about the lack of safety, a lack of evidence. All he said was there's a real, there's no evidence that these um, these uh, COVID vaccines are as safe and effective as being claimed. And because he said that, they there was an unbelievable furore, you know, and oh, this, they've had this missing, BBC has interviewed this top misinformation spreader right and he's gone on there he's actually he's actually stated these dangerous lies which are going to stop people which is going to kill thousands of people because they're going to you know they're going to be reluctant to get their you know their fourth or fifth or sixth booster that was the reaction just to him slipping in very ever so you know ever so discreetly you know the the, the nugget of possible information there might be some concerns about the safety and efficacy of these vaccines it's quite incredible. I, I the only time I've really gotten angry at like a guest is when someone ends up hearing like a COVID topic that I talked about with some name, either you or somebody else, and they start going, "How how could you give someone like that a platform? You don't think vaccines are you don't think vaccines work?" I go, "I think vaccines work, but I also think it's your choice to get the vaccine or not." I mean, if the argument is that you can spread COVID to another person, you can do the same thing if you're vaccinated. I got COVID from someone who's double vaccine boosted, and I'm not vaccinated at all. But we know, we know that it's the, the vaccinated are much more likely to get COVID now. And they're much more likely to pass it on. So why, why do we, why you think we didn't, we don't need to have these discussions. The evidence for that is out there. And they kind of admit it. I mean, Barbara Burks, you know, she admitted, she admitted, didn't she? They lied about it. She actually said, I've actually, I've actually got the clip. I, I mean, I can send it to you if you, if you don't remember. It's got the clip for saying that they knew that the vaccines didn't stop infection or transmission, right? But they effectively lied about it, right? And then the lie, then they'll say, but, and here's the but, they come with this but, but they do stop hospitalization of death. And we know that's a complete lie as well. Well, like what's the crystal ball technology that they're using to tell me that I, if I would have gotten, if I would not have gotten vaccinated, the COVID sickness would have been a lot worse. That's always what I hear. Well, your symptoms would have been a lot worse if you didn't get the vaccine. I was like, what future technology do you have to show me that it would have been worse if it? If I'm fine right now, then I didn't need the the COVID shot. And go, but you care about other people. I'm like, don't try and guilt trip me when you are doing. There's no, there's no difference. There's literally no difference if you get a shot in your arm. If anything, it's better to try and build up your immune system the right way by getting the infection naturally and letting your body fight that off. I don't even take Advil, and I work at a gym place. So everyone in that whole institution is all about taking care of themselves. If anything, this was a wake-up call to more than just institutions that were money-hungry because that their funding for hospitals are low, and that's why they had to start reporting things as COVID deaths because they were already at a low point where, like, we can get money off of this. We might as well do it, which is a bad decision on their part, but sadly, that's the position that they were put in. And also, if you look at people, I mean – Nobody in 36 months recommended just eating something healthy, going outside, getting some sunlight, doing something. Yeah, vitamin D. They didn't, they, they, they didn't even allow you to talk about vitamin D. 
And it's just like, and then I, I just, I don't understand why we tossed out so much medical procedures that we had in place to deal with sickness and uh, infections and other pandemics that we could have easily followed. But because this was a newer one and we had a newer vaccine for it, they had to completely change the whole rule book, which is like where all the medical professionals stand. And which is like, we had other measures in place that we could have provided. Nobody focused on ventilation in this whole thing. It was all about wearing a mask, standing six feet. This is what I don't get. People that wear a mask don't care about the six foot rule. Where I'm just like, all right, hold on a second. If you're going to follow the guidelines, you might as well follow them all, right? But everyone tossed out the six-foot rule like it was bullshit. Yeah, I know, I know. And I mean, this thing, yeah, kind of like we were saying there at the beginning of that, you, this whole thing about you get these people saying, you know, I've, I've, I've got COVID, right? I've had my four. I've had my. I'm. I've got COVID. I'm feeling bad. I'm feeling. Some say I'm feeling really bad. Worse I felt. But thank God I had my fifth shot because otherwise it would have been a lot worse i mean the, can you believe it and that's and how many people that's a mantra that's kind of like almost a standard mantra isn't it for the sort of the politicians and the um the entertainment people who they must have been told to say this because there's no way that so many people could voluntarily without some kind of inducement say something as dumb as that is there well, the weirdest thing to me is like, look at how many ads for Pfizer there was. And I think just recently I saw that Pfizer was going to get sent to court over some issues. I think they're going to try and take away that the Pfizer's no or no liable act because of the amount they vaccinated people with the Pfizer thing. I mean, can you explain a little bit more? I don't know if you know what that is. But to me, when I spoke to a vaccine lawyer, he said that somehow they slipped that into the bill. And I go, well, that means they must have a relationship for a very long time, the government must too. And it turns out they bought an old bioweapons plant um, called the Vigo Ordnance Plant you can look up. I think I tweeted you that. And then there was also the in Wolf of Wall Street, they talked about the Pfizer clients. So this company had been around for a long time, but nobody really remembers their name until just the pandemic happened. And this guy had excelled. But there's also, I mean, they, they of course, have paid the biggest fines in pharmaceutical history as well. As well. You know that. I mean, Pfizer have been subject to massive multiple, multi, you know, they. Why the hell do we trust them? <laughs> I don't I mean, get I've it. Got no, I've got no idea. I mean, you know, I can, but I can, I can tell you about that kind of like links into the story, which captures a lot of this, a, a lot of the problems. My story with the, the big Pfizer um, observational, well, one of, one of two, there were two very, very big observational trials of the Pfizer vaccine, which took place in Israel right in early 2021 so because the story there exposes a lot about the problems about the censorship and about the corruption I and mean, it's unbelievable so what what happened there was that um basically uh they published so you, the, yeah so in may 2021 the lancet published the results of this of the largest observational trial on the Pfizer vaccine that had taken place up to then. So it was in, it was most of the population of Israel, right? And and what they basically did was they looked, they were supposed to be looking at how many people uh, who were vaccinated, because a lot of the population was vaccinated by then, got uh, got COVID compared to how many who were unvaccinated got COVID. And they claimed that the vaccination was 95 percent effective because so many so many more of the unvaccinated um got covid than the vaccinated so that was the basis and that the reason for that 95 there's that 95 percent figure right is really critical you know why because in the original randomized controlled trial they said it was 95 percent effective and so here was a but that was all 
you know, done as a trial. It's only whatever, 44,000 subjects, 22,000 in the vaccine arm, 22,000 placebo. So that was all controlled. And it wasn't, it wasn't a typical population. It was mainly younger people and all that sort of stuff. So now it's rolled out. It's no longer a, a randomized controlled trial, but it's you've got a whole population being, you know, most of whom are vaccinated and some of whom are unvaccinated. So you're going to look at the results now of an observational trial for the over the whole population. And they gave the same figure and they said, oh, it's, isn't that a coincidence? 95%, right? So it sort of like confirms, that confirms the, what the what the trial figure was, but it was all bullshit. It was complete bullshit. There were so many flaws in that study. It was a study by, it was published by Haas and the, the first author named author of that, sorry, the main author of that is a woman called Sharon Alroy Price, who is very relevant to this story, right? Because the problems with the, the, the study were, were massive. I mean, it was the, the same old thing that they were treating somebody who got COVID within 14 days of the vaccine. They were classifying them as an unvaccinated case. They were testing. There was also the problem of they were testing they were, an unvaccinated person was much more likely to be PCR tested. In fact, six times more likely than a vaccinated person, because at that time in Israel, they had the Green Pass thing which meant that uh, the vaccinated could go into restaurants and stuff freely with the pass, but the unvaccinated could only go to work and go to restaurants if they produced like a negative test, right? So they were being tested. So if you're being tested, if you're tested, again, the same thing, you're testing all these asymptomatic people who are unvaccinated. So you're getting lots of positive cases, but they're not real, they're not real, then these people aren't ill. And it boosts up the number of the cases, the unvaccinated. So that's, and there were other problems as well. They were they were tested. They were doing it at a time when the 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 overall infection rate was going down, which also massively skews the figures. So to cut a long story short, it was flawed. We pointed out these flaws in a 250 word response letter to the Lancet because they normally they should publish these immediate responses, right? They never published it. <clears throat> what we got was a holding letter, and incidentally, we're not the only ones who didn't, who. who, who complained and get published but ours was particularly prominent example as i'll now explain because it, it didn't get published they said oh we'll contact the author wait for the author's response to your letter before we publish it didn't hear anything that was may that was middle of may it was 8th of may 2021 8th of january 2023 we get a letter from the lancet um editor <clears throat> Uh, their senior editor, saying that they had asked that lead author, that Sharon Alroy Price, they'd asked her to comment on her letter. And she, because she never got back to them, they've decided now not to publish the letter. Like 20 months on, we finally got a decision. They're not going to publish this letter. Well, at that point, I looked into this again because I hadn't even thought about it. It had gone so long. And we looked into the whole thing about this, about who this, uh, all this, who this Sharon Alroy Price is. It turns out she was not one of, she, there were eight, eight out of the 15 authors of that study in the Lancet declared a Pfizer interest. They declared they had stocks and shares, stocks and shares in Pfizer. She was not one of them. In fact, she declared no conflict of interest, right? And yet, it turns out that she was the lead person for the entire Israel government. She was actually at the uh, Israel Ministry of Health. She was the person in charge on behalf of the Israel government at the Israeli Ministry of Health of that entire 
laboratory agreement, you know, the national Israel is the national laboratory for the Pfizer vaccine. She was in charge of that. She was the she was the person who had to report to Pfizer, who had to agree with Pfizer if there was any any issues in the in the in the relationship. She was the lead person, yet she declared no conflict of interest here. Do you think that's because they already had eight of the doctors that already claimed that they had research uh, influence or, I guess, relationships There's with no, Pfizer? No, no, no. They actually, because afterwards they claimed that she, that her position such that it wasn't wrong. They said something that it wasn't, she, she didn't have to declare this as a conflict of interest because- She works at the fucking lab that's run by the people that, of course it's a conflict of interest. Right. So anyway, we put, so we put a Substack article out saying not only had they finally rejected, they'd rejected our letter- 20 months late, but we've also got this conflict. We've identified this massive undeclared conflict of interest of the lead author, who was the one who'd refused to respond to our letter. And on that basis, they didn't publish it, right? So we put a Substack article out. It got, I think, like a million and a half impressions. The tweet about it and the article itself, tens of thousands of, of, of reads, that, that article. The very next day, I get a letter back from the associate editor saying, oh, actually, we're going to... We apologize. We, 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 I think we, we've, you know, we sort of screwed up here. We apologize. We're looking into this. And then they said um, that, that uh, they've reconsidered and they will, they will publish our letter. Right. Or an update to it. They said that we will publish a letter on update to it. So we, and they said it could go to 350 words. It allows us to write 350 word response. We did that. We added a few, we added the updates because we found that new information about the flaws in the study, right? And we did point out the fact that of the undeclared conflict of interest. We heard back, you know what then happened? We got, I heard back that they decided they're not going to publish the letter. So I, I um, submitted a uh, freedom of access request for all email correspondence between the editors and authors of this paper, between the editors or between the editors and authors of this paper at the Lancet. Because yeah, Elsevier are the, are the um, they own the, aren't, they're the, they're the publishers who own the Lancet. And I get a response. I get a response, which is on my Substack. So people see this, because it's beyond, it's beyond belief, right? For a start, it's a long, it's a big document. There's like nine or 10 pages of stuff of these, their internal correspondence talking about me and this and, and our letter, right? Most of it's redacted. And the, the stuff that isn't redacted is pretty shocking because it refers to me as a problem, an issue, an issue that, that they're trying to solve. It was clear that they were only stalling on ever publishing the letter. They accused me of being a pusher of, they were talking about me being a pusher of anti-vax misinformation. And they, it was clear they'd also got information from, you know, what we call the sort of the, the so-called 77th Brigade, which is a British army unit which they set up to kind of like effectively spy on, not spy on, but to, to read and go through all of the um, media posts of people like me who were sort of providing a counter narrative to the official COVID narrative. And so that, so in the end, what they basically, they rejected this letter on the basis of who I am or who they thought I am, rather than on the quality and the integrity of the complaints we'd made about the flaws in this study. Do you think that that's them being brainwashed too? Or do you think it's it's also their fault because they don't even look at the proper information? Any human being, I mean, we're, we somehow mixed up conspiracy and critical thinking. Um, 
you know, conspiracies are real. There is cons conspiracy is real legal language. Conspiracy to commit a uh, act of violence or anything of that. It just means two. It just means one or more, uh, two or more people. So that's real language. But somehow in society we have it labeled on things that bring it into the tinfoil hat discussion. Which I mean, it does sound crazy when you start talking about things about like medical manipulation and all this type of stuff. I'm gonna give some leniency to people that make mistakes, but also the research integrity aspect. We know about the tobacco history with research influenced studies. We know about that history, and we've accepted that, and we still smoke cigarettes. But there's an aspect of when it comes into putting a shot inside of your body, and I think it's the question of like how deep does this go? I mean do these people, these officials really care about our health or not? And I can guarantee you that they don't. They care about making money. And I, I, I think originally what well, there was a giant fear and not a lot of knowingness of what was going on. But the main factor is is that if that lab leak, which is now being looked into as a possible thing, and I connect that with the CCP balloon and all that type of crap that went on – it's a business relationship with China. We didn't want to mess up our relationship by saying we got to look into your lab because also we know the answer to that question. They would just say no and get really mad at us. But the fact is, if Trump hadn't said anything about it, we would have suggested it came from there anyway. The whole politicalization of the vaccination, whether you're unvaccinated, people assume you're right wing or whether you're vaccinated, people assume you're a left wing liberal or anything of this sort. The conversations I've had where guests have gotten mad about some of the guests I've had on about the COVID subject have been largely liberal guests and i go it's not a conspiracy or it's not misinformation to ask to see the data and the fact that they've tried to stall it for 75 years the fact that youtube had to change their guidelines to say you can talk about vaccine injuries if it's you that experienced it because they realized banning it was actually hurting the people that were trying to get the word out about they need help and they need money like gofundmes were trying to do when you enter this land where there's a voice being silenced because you call that misinformation even though they're willing to show you the evidence that becomes a problem because you should not trust your news outlets at all they all have a certain narrative that they want to spin and the only reason we can talk about conspiracies is if fox news blames cnn and cnn blames fox news that's the only way it gets discussed i mean we have a, the unvaccinated documentary that i watched and i messaged you immediately afterwards i almost threw up watching that thing you had a bunch of people and you chopped them up in certain bits and then you picked the one crazy guy that was like oh it's microchips from russia in his arm i was like bro i i look i i stand in the boat of unvaccinated you could have had me on there we could have had a logical discussion about this yeah i mean that program that was that's that's something else because <laughs> that's you know i've spent kind of like... took her email down hannah fry took her email down you can't email her anymore Oh, is that right? Yeah. After I messaged her, I had a bunch of people that were reaching out to her. I was like, hey, send her an email. Tell her she needs to do the out of the blank podcast or anything like that. And give them, I basically typed up a little message saying, send this to her. Had like 10 people, 15 people message her. And then I looked for her email again. And then it's, the email got a sent back thing. And then I went to go find a different one if she had one listed. And she removed her email after that whole, I guess, a bunch of people with her messaging her. Well, first of all, I mean, you know that I know, I mean, I actually presented a BBC documentary of Hannah Fry back in 2015 co-presented one did you know that is it called wendy's sister no 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 it's called climate change by numbers and that's another scam but i don't want to get into that <laughs> that now but that revealed <laughs> working for the bbc which is what i did then um you know so, so kind of like opened my eyes to how biased they were about everything and, and in, in particular about the whole climate change narrative so i was basically pumping out propaganda i didn't like i didn't like it and uh but that's another story. I want, I want to talk about that now. But so I, of course, knew, you know, I worked with Hannah Fry. You know, we co-presented that program. We worked together for several months on that, right? She can, she has never got back to me 
you know, in three years since COVID started, she has never got back to me on any, she's never, you know, replied, acknowledged any email, mine, nothing. She has completely blanked me. So, yeah, so it's not a surprise now that... Um, Do you think she was told not to talk to you? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, that real spying on things like you mentioned, I've been through the new release of JFK documents, and this is where I, I've just learned so much about our government that I didn't know before. There's a long list of files on researchers that are into the Kennedy assassination, and just because you're researching into something, going to the archives, I mean, I've spoken to federal judges who are involved in declassifying a lot of those documents. They all have files that are all largely blanked out, redacted. And they're called threats to national security, which is like made me question what is national security? I mean, the secrecy aspect. I mean, are we getting more information from Freedom of Information Act requests? Like, I know we know a lot about Peter uh, Dazig and a couple of other people as well, too. But there's still a lot large lock on this information where even some of the emails about the amount of censorship that goes on. I mean, Elon buying Twitter, I think, exposed a lot as well, too. But yeah, that's for sure. There's a lot of stuff that is not being either i can't find some articles that i've showed on air so they do exist those articles do exist but those links either are bad gateways when you click into them or there's just statements and videos that keep getting taken down of people that actually say things like fauci doubling down i mean he, he said something about i never actually said that you can't get covid if you weren't if you were vaccinated i never said that and i go there's plenty of clips of it and then you're going and looking for it and i can't find any damn clips where i'm like i know he said it i heard him say it yeah, I know. And also things like, you know, the WHO has been like taken down. Well, I mean, the, the, the WHO, um, we found out they'd taken down a, a, a document from uh, early 2020, whereby they were openly, openly claiming that they had to give these very, these ludicrous definitions, what COVID death was to basically exaggerate the scale of the problem. They were, they were quite open about it, but that, they took that top document down. And in the UK, there was this um the, the guidelines the uh, um the uh the government's health guidelines for dealing with um patients kind of like hospitalized with covid where they were they were effectively encouraging them to give these drugs like midazolam these kind of like drugs that you normally basically they just speed up death of people they're just going to speed up the death of people and they had all these you know these do not resuscitate um uh, guidelines which should never have been applied to a lot of these COVID cases. A lot of them, you know, they should have been given them and they shouldn't, we know they shouldn't have been putting them on ventilators and intubating them, right? They should have been treating the, in many cases, the um, uh, the bacterial pneumonia that they were going to get. They could have, you know, they could have treated that um, quite adequately with, you know, existing uh, medicines and antibiotics, but they did, you know, they didn't. And that brings me back to this other thing that we were talking about before we went on air, which was that a lot of the excess deaths right at the beginning in the spring of 2020 across the world, we've, we've really looked into this quite in, in some detail. They all had these, the countries which had the largest excess deaths, like in places like New York, Lombardy, the UK, all had these very, very similar end of life kind of like protocols for the for, for covid patients whereby it was the response to the the response to covid rather than covid itself which was which was killing more pre more people and that's why i'm not convinced even even you, you mentioned about like the lab all the lab leak hypothesis and why i'm 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 beginning to think it's a bit of a it's a bit of a red herring it, it almost doesn't matter what the origin of, of the of the virus was what matters is that it was never 
a particularly deadly virus, anything like they claimed. And we knew that fairly early on. We knew that the, all the data and the statistics were being manipulated to make it look like it was more deadly. And you've got this other thing which we've now, we're now looking at, the fact which people just aren't asking questions about. Why did the flu, how and why did the flu completely disappear in 1920-21 and then come back again in 22? Because it was labeling it as COVID, the same protocols. I mean, people getting sick. Exactly. And the PCR testing was, was part of that problem. You know, the symptoms are the same. Do you know what I'm saying? Even I'm questioning things. I, I, I always tell people I got COVID um, with the Delta wave in the summer of 2021, which I'm, I'm sure I got from because I was around, you know, I spent quite a lot of time in like crowded pubs with vaccinated people because it was the when when the uh, European champ, soccer championships were on in, in, in England, right? And I got it and I was convinced I, I've never taken I've never taken a test. I would not have one of those unsterilized Chinese sticks shoved down my uh, throat and up into my brain. But um, so I was never going to take one of those. Right. But um, I was convinced I had it because I thought I was under the impression that the symptoms I had were unique to COVID. Right. And the unique ones, of course, you get all the flu type symptoms, you know, the headache, the uh, slight nausea, incredible tiredness, all of that. But the unique ones, I was told that the unique ones were the, 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 the loss of taste and the metallic and the metallic taste in particular. I was told that was a unique symptom of COVID. So I was convinced that's what I had. I'm no longer convinced about that anymore because I'm now, now told that's actually a fairly common, um, that's a fairly common reaction for, for uh, you know, flu type viruses. And I didn't know that. I'm astonished that I was ignorant not to even look that up. But that 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 is a fact. And you can go back, you know, go back to documents pre-COVID and look at symptoms and you'll find it there. I was more worried about brain fog. Brain fog to me is like one, some days I still have like some weird days where my thoughts aren't necessarily there. Um, and I don't know what that was. And I have talked, tried to have the discussion about brain fog. They're still trying to figure it out. But apparently you can get it from multiple things as well, too, not just exactly. COVID. Exactly. That's also, uh, that is, that is a quite a common post-viral infection condition. So about the tree, I mean, I think there's a couple of people I was talking about, which is the interest is that looking into brain fog more, it's actually going to solve brain fog issues for people that have certain burns out or types of, I don't know, ADHD or anything like that. Like you can get burnt. I have ADHD. So it could be burnout from that of just running myself too dry and lack of sleep as well too. But there was a lot of fear where if you got something and they told you, oh, okay, it's COVID, then you're like, oh my God, is this going to be permanent? What's going to happen to me? And then people were really getting to an area of like, holy shit, like, I don't want this to last forever. I don't think I can live like that. And the interest to me is now I've started to notice more pharmaceutical commercials. And with the pharmaceutical commercials, their open side effects, which I swear to God, they used to say really fast. But one of them was talking about temporary lumps, temporary bumps and bruises, blindness, stroke. And I just start going, isn't this a medication that is like to make you look younger? Why are we talking about blindness and all these? I literally had to post it on my Twitter because I was like, I've never heard that ever where I was like, how many people are willing to accept this? And I think at this point now with how messed up the pharmaceutical thing is, everyone just accepts, well, all drugs have side effects. I'm like, yes, they do. But all of them are not this severe. And now we're setting a norm for people to accept severe side effects over something as simple as taking Tylenol. Yeah, 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 that is amazing, yeah. Yeah, I mean, in the UK, they uh, they recently banned uh, night nurse, which is uh, a flu cold medication, um, 
because of the, um, what's the exact component in it, I don't know. But that was on the basis of like an unbelievably tiny number of serious adverse reactions. And yet the number of adverse reactions and deaths reported COVID vaccines is what we know through the roof. And yet there's no mention, there's no discussion about its withdrawal. Although this does bring me on to another thing that I don't think we discussed last time because I don't think it was as well known about it, which was the AstraZeneca vaccine vaccine which you didn't have of course in the states but we that was the main vaccine that was pushed from early on in the uk do you know the story about that mm -mm. so the astrazeneca vaccine which was developed at oxford group at oxford university dame sarah gilbert she got a damehood she got a standing ovation at wimbledon at the end of june uh 2021 remember that date i'm going to explain why by that date, that early June 2021, so it's not long after the vaccine program started, and they'd already given like many, many millions of doses. Incidentally, that was the two doses of that was what my wife got for, which you know, as, as I mentioned, that, that adverse reaction there. But before, so by the beginning of June 2021, it was already known that there were problems with that vaccine. As early as March 2021, several European countries withdrew it or wouldn't allow it, and others wouldn't allow it for people under 60, right? And yet, this was the thing that was the big British success story. By June, start of June 2021, because I found found out from my GP, because that's the one that my wife had had, they were no longer get, they were no longer getting it. They, it wasn't even being distributed to them the AstraZeneca vaccine. It was effectively withdrawn, but not formally because they couldn't admit to withdrawing it because that would have admitted to massive problems. To this day, they've never admitted that that vaccine was withdrawn. And yet it's the one which has got the highest. I mean, it was the one that's known to have caused proven, you know, blood uh, deaths from blood clots and stuff like that. It was known, it's proven to have very, very serious neurological uh, severe adverse reactions, right? So the fact it was just, it was, this was the great British success story, the one that most Brits had in the first half of 2021, and it was gone. And it's gone, and, and nobody knew it was gone because it wasn't publicly. They suddenly, discreetly, they were only offering Pfizer or Moderna in the UK after that. And yet, at the end of June, 28th of June, wherever it was, 2021, the entire Wimbledon Stadium standing ovation for Dame Sarah Gilbert, the person who was you know, in charge of the AstraZeneca vaccine program. Now, is there any recourse? Like, I mean, if someone slips out of the shadows without letting anybody know that there's a, there was an issue and just doesn't print a retraction or anything of that sort, or just to even make a statement about that, is there any recourse for anybody that is damaged or hurt from a certain vaccine that they got? Right. I mean, so in the, UK, in the UK, there is a, there is a vaccine damage um, repayment scheme. It's £120,000, but effectively... You more it's it's and actually they've given out. I think there's been there's been 52 cases of officially confirmed vaccine deaths in the UK. I think all of them were most or all of them were AstraZeneca, right? I think there might have been some Pfizer in there, right? But um, to be paid out if you're just injured, you've got to prove at least 60% incapacity directly due to the vaccine. To get the payment in for death, you've got to have a coroner certificate saying. You know, effectively an inquest, an inquest um, to say it was uh, a COVID death, and nobody—it's almost impossible to get that. I mean, we know the numbers in the UK. We have—we don't have the VAERS system; we have the yellow card system, and there's something like um, two thousand three hundred deaths reported there. Of course, we know it's undercounted. We know most of them 
<clears throat> However, contrary to what people say, we know that at least 70% of those are real, they're real true positives. If somebody is reporting a death, you know, on the basis of previous studies, it's there's 70% of those are almost certainly directly caused by the vaccine, right? And yet you so few of these people are getting the are getting the payouts. But um there's various law, there's supposed to be some new law going through parliament that might be going through to try and amend this to make it easier to get compensation, but very, very difficult to get, you know, to get compensation. And who pays as taxpayers paying for it? Because uh, the, the drug companies have got the indemnity. They don't, they don't, they don't pay a penny in any of this. The government pays, i.e., we the taxpayer pays for this. Can I ask the ones where, who didn't want this, including those like me who didn't want it in the first place? Can I ask where, besides your Substack, like other places as well too, when it comes to being able to get the information out there? I mean, are you seeing better reception since Elon Musk bought Twitter? But I've noticed even with some of the conversations and some of my messaging through some of my emails have stopped really working after going with Peter McCullough. I mean, after he was on my show, my emails either sometimes get sent, sometimes don't. And some of my tweets get sent, sometimes they don't as well either. And, and even with my channel, you have to type in some names fully, completely, the whole title of the episode and everything. And I go, I mean, I'm following guidelines. I'm putting thumbnails instead of full episodes for COVID-related topics and it just says go to Spotify because Spotify allows that up there. And I don't care if they add a disclaimer, but I've seen some of your YouTube videos get taken down. And I'm like, you're showing statistics though. Like you're going into the actual numbers and you're showing evidence and everything like that. So to me, it's just like, what is their, uh, uh, their open door policy is a problem, but where's your platform? Like where have you experienced the most benefit and where have you experienced the least amount of traction? I don't know. I'm getting a little bit more traction on Twitter. Not not a lot. I mean, I've got I think I've got sixty five over sixty five thousand followers, but most um, most of my followers don't get to see my tweets unless they you know put my name in or interact with me regularly. So it's I, I know that, and this I, I have the same thing. I mean, I I follow some quite big you know big names. I follow. I don't get their tweets. They don't come onto my they, my feed, even though I'm following them. And yet, you know what gets pushed to the front of my tweet tweets? All of the biggest, all of these people who are the ones confronting misinformation about about COVID and the vaccines. They always come to the top of my tweets. These are people I, I don't follow. They're people I never interact with. They're the ones pushed up to the top, and they have very very small uh, followings as well. These are people, you know, like the ones who come up. I won't mention names because anybody who's sort of followed, you know, uh, sort of Substacks or, or, or Twitter will know that the sort of, but, but these are people who have effectively become sort of, you know, one has become a sort of the government spokesperson on pushing the vaccines on pregnant women, for example. This person is everywhere. I'm all, I've obviously interviewed on, you know, she gets onto the BBC, top of the, pushed to the top of the stream on everybody's stream on Twitter. Yeah, she's only got, she's got 20K followers. And she was nothing. She was. It came out of nowhere. This person came out of nowhere, suddenly. But you know, and, and she's not particularly well qualified. She, you know, she's got some sort of. I don't know. Um, she's certainly not qualified to talk about any recommended medical interventions in pregnancy. That's for sure. And yet, you know, these people have somehow become prominent. And where anybody who tries to again expose the flaws and the lies and the genuine misinformation about what's being pushed by these people, we're the ones getting censored. We're the ones who people don't see. Is there enough information that's come out about the stillbirths that are going on with some of the vaccines? There's no, there isn't. And because they're, they're pushing, uh, uh, they're, they're pushing this so-called V safe 
um, data, which was, you know, they weren't going to get, that, you know, none of that was going to be properly revealed. Some of it's coming out and they're trying to manipulate it in such a way to make it seem that there is no evidence that the vaccine uh, is more likely to cause uh, miscarriages or stillbirths than uh, those who are um, those who are unvaccinated. Whereas actually, if you get into the real data, if you do a proper analysis, and I've got colleagues who've been absolutely on top of this, and I've been, you know, I've been reviewing their work, so I know that it's good. There, all of the evidence is pointing in exactly the opposite way. That there is a lot of really, really serious safety signals about the uh, vaccines for pregnant women and their babies. I had a, I'm 25. So I have friends that are all kind of in the process of having kids or having another kid. And this is like a big issue for them, which is like when they go and try and search it up, they can get some from like TikTok videos of people trying to describe what's going on, which I think that's a good thing for that platform. I've seen a lot of traction on there for that, but it's not on the mainstream and no one's really talking about it, which is just like, if anybody actually cares about the essence of a human life, you would just want to look in to see if there's any accurate reporting on this at all. And the fact that nobody in the mainstream news has wanted to cover it is just insane to me. I mean, do you think the doubling down is eventually going to end? I mean, what do you do as a, a news station? Do you think that's going to destroy their credibility? I, I, I think it's I think it's not I'm really pessimistic on this point because I was saying oh people are waking up the evidence is so strong now but as I, as I was saying to you before we were now that the evidence doesn't matter how much stronger every time the evidence is getting stronger and stronger but they're doubling down more or they're covering up that they've, they've already created a side story haven't they or the explanation so you know you get the evidence for example in excess deaths right well they're saying that's nothing to do with the vaccines that's to do with long covid or that's to do with the you know some of the effects of lockdown which you know that's the one thing that they're not doubling down on they're now accepting that the lockdowns were were not a good thing most people that's that's got that's managed to get into the mainstream news but they they will not because that's not directly linked to the sort of the farmer funding and the, and, the, and the big money and the corruption that you mentioned before there isn't any big money sort of you know uh dependent on that so they're able to sort of now accept and admit that they were wrong about that. We told them that was all rubbish at the time. Now they're admitting it, but they won't. They will not admit to the problems of of, of the COVID, um, you know, safety and efficacy. The most we've got out of them is that you know they'll admit that they don't stop infection and um, and transmission. But even the most, even the prom, where you, you've got in the UK, you've got a few people who I wouldn't say on mainstream. They're not on the BBC, but they're on like other say quite big radio shows or other tv shows they always have these kind of like what i call almost they're sort of like controlled opposition they're sort of they're, they're considered to be the right wing the conservative view where they're given this sort of slightly skeptical view on the on the covid narrative and all of those people all of those people say the same thing they repeat the mantra that look these vaccines are not safe or effective but they stop hospitalization and death from COVID, they all repeat that same mantra, which we know is nonsense. And they're, they're not, those people are not, they're not going to back down. You notice the number of Twitter bots that end up saying like the same exact things over and over again. I've seen the screenshots of it and it's ridiculous. Yeah, it's, it's the same thing. It's just incredible. Yeah. 
it's hard when it comes down to like, I mean, you, you, people don't really know a whole lot about all this type of manipulational tactics, whether it's media manipulation or government manipulation as well, too. And even when it comes to science and to statistics, they're kind of just putting their trust into someone. And if they're on the big TV, that means their trust goes into that person. But the best platform is being able to talk to you and being able to get the message out there as well, too. I mean, there's plenty of people that I eventually just got sick and tired of talking about it because it has become one of the most polarizing subjects. I can't imagine what it's like for people that spend their whole entire life trying to research and get the information out there whether you're getting hit with bots or whether you're getting hit with people that are saying we agree with what you're exactly saying and what you're writing about but it's the labels for me that it just it's ridiculous well, my, i can't get i you know i i had you know a highly respected i was considered to be so highly respected in my field to be fair i had you know seven books i've published over 300 papers in peer-reviewed journals i mean this thing about going around oh well your stuff's your stuff can't be any good on COVID. it's not in peer-reviewed journals they won't we we don't even get to the stage for our papers where it is even considered for review. They're rejected because my name's on it. I've had people, colleagues, withdraw their names from papers which have nothing to do with COVID because we do a lot of other medical statistics stuff and, and risk assessment and other chronic conditions. I've had colleagues are now removing their names because they don't want to be on a paper associated with me. Right, that's how bad things have got. I mean, I'm, I mean, I'm now, I, I retired. I mean, there are personal reasons why I probably need to retire anyway, as as you as you kind of know. But nevertheless, I I probably would have had to have retired anyway when I did, which was the end of 2022, because of the, you know, because I can't, you know, I got fed up with the people complaining. You know, these these Twitter storms that get me reported as a as a spread of misinformation. I mean, I was called by one of these very prominent sort of government type spokesman I was called um a rabid misinformation spreader those are the exact words that was used in a twitter twitter thread by this person has anybody even opened up the platform to be able to debate I've never never none of these people I've you know I've offered to you know I've I've emailed these people you know I've I've responded to their you know statements they made on twitter to to question them about these things and challenge and nobody's really nobody ever Nobody ever really comes back on any of this stuff. I mean, the Office for National Statistics, they did, you know, because we were very, very publicly highlighting the flaws of their stuff. They were forced to. They they can't just ignore us like a, an acad another academic could or another sort of media celebrity. And they keep coming back. But they keep coming back with, you know, absolute sort of garbage. They just sort of double down on the garbage, really. I mean, they... So, you know, you can never win. They're the ones who control. They control. This is another thing. We don't control the data, right? The governments have control over what data actually gets released as well, which is another issue. So when they say they've got this, this accurate death data, we've got evidence that it isn't accurate. We know that there are a massive number of missing COVID deaths, right? Going back to the BBC's unvaccinated program, they were using the government. They were quoting this Office for National Statistics, 8% of the adult population unvaccinated. Well, we know, we know that was wrong. We've proved that's wrong. We know that at the time, that was May 2022, when they said that it was 8%, because they're trying to make out from that program that the unvaccinated is some crazy, tiny fringe minority, right? Well, we knew at the time it was at least 20%. In fact, in, the, in that program itself, they actually reported on a very, very large sample and, and uh, um, a very reputable um, and highly representative start, um, uh national sample which showed that there were 26 percent adult unvaccinated and um that's probably that was probably more like what 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 the figure was 
And it's because of that, as I said, that the regulator in the end agreed with us that you couldn't use the ONS, the Office of National Statistics data, to, to make any claims about vaccine efficacy or safety because people were using it to say that it proves the vaccine is, is, is not only high efficacy, but it has a lower mortality rate for the, for the, uh, for the vaccinated. It just wasn't true. Well, I want to ask when the lies stop, but I mean, I, sadly, I just think you start looking in the past, it's the same thing back then, too. I mean, what you just talked about, about using the OS as a place of like information. I mean, when you're looking at the government to give you the data, it's also like if you're accusing the government of being the ones that are messing up with the data, it's like you can't trust their stuff. There's an old video from 71 of Hale Boggs calling out J. Edgar Hoover for wiretapping congressmen and all the stuff we learned in 74 about Watergate. And the guy's like, what's your, you sound like a conspiracy theorist. What's your evidence on that? And he goes, you're asking the FBI to investigate the FBI. And it's just like, oh yeah, just really think about it. Like you, you can't trust the data that comes from them anymore, especially after we, there's a proven fact that they have lied all these times. But I mean, thank God there's independent reporters like yourself and people that are willing to put in the work and effort to study these data is also be able to relate to the public. Um, I just wish I had a big enough platform to give you the attention you really deserve. You know, you need a major news network or at least have you and Hannah Fry or someone up there who's on the opposing side to have a full on discussion about this and really kind of point out some of the flaws in the speaking. I like Tucker Carlson, but I also think he does it too comedic where I'm like, this is a little bit more important than trying to crack a joke on it. Yeah, he, he is good, but he is also, he's never really touched on properly on the the issue of the vaccine safety, has he? No. So, yeah, even he's, you know, made it's made clear to him that he's got, there's certain topics he even he has to steer clear of. I just wonder how many people got a shot in their arm and then they realized that everyone's kind of dropped the whole, like, restrictions on certain things. Because I think a lot of people got a shot too, just because they thought they weren't going to be able to access some things. And then now it's like, well, I don't have one, but everyone else has like two or a booster in them. They're like, what What the hell was it all for? I'm like, I don't know, man. I just feel bad for you because you got one. And they're all like, what the hell do I do? Well, here's a funny anecdote maybe to finish with, because I actually heard from a friend that in Colombia, apparently they were advertising for unvaccinated people to give a pint of blood for $800. Yeah, I, I've seen that. I've seen that. <laughs> that's crazy to me i'm like oh how many that limits it down but you know you can get rich if you're unvaccinated. because yeah. you know the funny thing when you, if you get financial incentives like that for the unvaccinated to give blood how long is it going to be then before the vaccinated start having to get fake certificates to prove that they're unvaccinated <laughs> god it's the upside down it's the twilight zone <laughs> yeah Brilliant. Yeah. That, but norman you give me enough of your time man is there a place where people can find any of your links so where are the numbers, Substack and Prof N Fenton Twitter? Because on there, it'll give you'll get the links to my YouTube as well. But yeah. All right. I'll link all that in the description. Like I said, I appreciate the time you gave me to talk on the show. And thanks everybody for listening to this episode of About the Plan.